Well, today we continue on with a topic that I began to speak about uh, two weeks ago. And uh, for some reason, it is a controversial topic amongst some professing Christians, though it really need not be. But we are talking about the topic of once saved, always saved, or maybe better put, eternal security or what other, whatever other name the doctrine may go by that gives people, the bottom line of this doctrine is it gives people the freedom to continue in sin and still be saved. And that's really what I'm going to be discussing or what I have been discussing in these last two teachings. But I think that the real question that is on, um, or that should be on the table, the real question that should be of the greatest concern, um, is, is that taught in the Scriptures? Is it taught in the Scriptures by Jesus or any of His apostles that you could choose to live your life in a way that allows you to continue in sin and that no matter what decisions that you make in regards to sin, you are still saved. Is that taught in the Scriptures? Personally, I cannot find that. I cannot find it in the Scriptures that the Scriptures say that you can continue in sin, that you can choose willful sin in your life repetitively and that you are saved, I see quite the opposite, the direct opposite of that. Okay? So, I want you to open your Bibles up this morning with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. We'll get started in the scriptures here this morning. And if you've come to this teaching today and you've not had the chance to listen to the prior teaching that I did teach on this subject, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to that teaching as well. Uh, as we did go through a lot of verses in the Bible um, on that teaching that I did previously, and today's teaching really is a continuation of that teaching, so please take a look or a listen to that teaching as well. Okay, so Luke chapter 6, um, Luke, if you haven't found it, Luke is of course in the New Testament right after the Gospel of Mark and just before the Gospel of John. And I'd like you to look down in Luke chapter 6 and start reading with me in verse 39. Okay, it says, and he spoke a parable to them. So now this is, of course, Jesus, right? And he said, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? Now, verse 39 sets the tone here for the rest of this parable. And as we go through the next 10 verses in Luke 6 here, I will refer a few times back to verse 39 here. 
Of course, the answer to the question as Jesus presents this parable here is a very definite no. The blind cannot lead the blind, not without taking each other down. And a true disciple of Jesus is not going to allow themselves to be spiritually blind to the point of leading others astray into false doctrine and thereby giving them a false hope or a false security. A true disciple of Jesus has had their understanding of the scriptures opened by the Spirit of the Lord and will be an example to others in the way that one should live their life. That's what a true disciple of Jesus is. And as we read this parable, you'll see that that is what Jesus is teaching. He's obviously not talking about blind people who are physically blind leading the blind. He's talking about being spiritually blind here. Okay? Ignorant to how one should live in regards to being his disciple. Right? Verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Do you see that? Let's read that again. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Okay, now I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but a disciple of Jesus is not someone that is trying to live in a certain manner, but rather they are someone that has been trained or is in training at least to live in a certain manner. For example, if, if you are a parent and you want to bring up your child in the way that they should go, in the way that, of righteousness, right? You do not let them try everything on their own with no instructions. You don't just let them go, right? Your role is to give guidance and persuasion along the way as you raise them. Proverbs 29.15 says that the rod and rebuke give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Now, I'm really not going to go too far off here on the topic of child rearing. But I'm going to read that verse again. Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and rebuke give wisdom. That's how you discipline a child. Children need rebuke. And they need the rod on their bod. Okay? Not beating them just gently correcting them along the way. It's not to be done with your hands. It's to be done as the Bible instructs with the rod, right? But here's the, the part of that verse that I'm, bringing, that I'm really focusing on this morning, is that a child left to himself will bring shame to his mother, that says. It is your duty as a parent to train up that child in the way that they should go. You are the master of that child, the Lord, if you will, of that child, while you are bringing them up. That's your role in their life. They don't tell you what they're going to do. You are training them in the way that they should go. This is a training process, not just saying, okay, go out, little Johnny, little Susie, go out and do whatever you want. Just give it a try. Try things on your own and you leave them to yourself and you're never uh, or to their self, and, and you're never correcting them, you're never rebuking them, you're not training them, you're just 
letting them try things, right? And of course, as born-again Christians, and reeling this back into what the topic that we're talking about here, as born-again Christians, we have a Lord over us. We are not above Him. We are not directing Him, but rather He is above us. And by His Spirit, He is our teacher. And that's what Jesus is saying here in verses 39 and 40. By His Spirit today, He perfectly or completely, thoroughly trains us for what reason? So that we will be like Him. That's the disciple of Jesus, right? That is the goal, that is the maturity of the one who is a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you something. Is Jesus our Lord to whom we are to be like? We're to be like Him. Is He living in sin? Is He choosing fornication? Is He choosing to willfully sin? Of course not. It's ridiculous, right? So then, nor should we be that way if we are being trained to be like Him. That's what a disciple is. So, you see, we are not blind if we have been or are being trained by our teacher, our Lord. He opens our eyes, right? He takes us, He, he transforms us, brings us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the, to His marvelous light. And our eyes are open. And we now see, this is the way I used to live. This is the way I used to be. But it's not how I am today in Christ, okay? Your children will not fall into ditches in their life either if you will put forth the effort to train them. And ultimately, you are bringing them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord so that they too will come under His tutelage. Right? In other words, they will be His disciple. That should be the goal if you are a born-again Christian, right? That you would train up your child in the way that they should go. Well, we know the way. The way is Jesus. Right? And that is right, what we all desire to be like or what we should desire to be like if we are following the Lord. We should have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness if we are disciples of the Lord, right? So again, we as disciples of Jesus need to be sure that we are not just trying, but that we are in daily training to be like Jesus. And that too I expounded on in our last teaching. So again, if you didn't catch that one, go, go back to that teaching as well. Jesus continues on in verse 41, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Now, let's pause right there, because I think so many people make the mistake with this passage of Scripture of looking at it like it is telling us that we can't point the finger at other people's flaws at all. Like, that's what this, these verses are about, and that's only what they are about, are about, right? No matter what they are doing, in other words, no matter what someone else is doing, we cannot judge them 
because we too have flaws. So therefore, we need to just be quiet about the sin of others. And you know what? That's partially true. But we must stay in the context of this parable here and realize that Jesus is training his disciples on how they need to be like him. That's what this parable is about. How we need to be as disciples of Jesus like him. He's not telling them that it's okay to remain blind. He's not giving them that false security that they'll be okay if they remain spiritually blind. He's telling them that they need to be mature and to be trained, again, to be like him, trained in righteousness and holiness. 1 Peter 1.15 says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So you see, that's a command. I want to read that again. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, all of your manner of life, right? That's, again, that's a command. It's not saying you by osmosis have been made holy. It is something you must work at. It's something you must train to do. It's something that you must put effort into and you must strive against sin, as the scripture says. We have to strive against it. We have to fight against it. We don't give in to it. We're not being like our master if we're given in to sin. Let's read on. Hypocrite. Verse 42 continues, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. So Jesus staying within the context here is telling them how they need to be living and he's telling them what to do. You don't keep you don't keep the the plank that's in your eye. You don't settle with it and say, oh, I'm saved by grace. I'm just going to continue with this plank. In my eye, no. Jesus said, remove it. Get sin out of your life. It's called repentance. Stop living spiritually blind. Don't be a hypocrite. Thinking that you are a disciple of Jesus, saved and on your way to heaven, without dealing with the sin that is in your life. There are people today living in sin And we can name all the sins, and and the Bible names many sins, but they're making no effort on themselves being like their master, Jesus, or whom they call their Lord. They're they're making no effort to be like Him. But they look at, at others as if they're not saved because of the sin in their lives. Think about that. So many people are continuing in sin, calling themselves Christians and saying, oh, look at that sinful world out there. So that's why I say it's partially true, right? That that's what this parable can be taken as, right? You can't do that. You got to train yourself in righteousness and holiness, right? But again, this goes back to people thinking that they're saved no matter what the sin is that's in their lives simply because they profess that they believe. But believing in Jesus means nothing if you are not a disciple being trained to be like Him. 
as we see here in verse 40. Again, I I proclaim to you that that doctrine is not a biblical doctrine, that you can continue in sin, willful sin, and be saved. It's not to be found in the Scriptures. Verse 43, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit. Look at what Jesus is saying here. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. So look at this. Jesus is saying, get the plank out of your eye. Get it out. Because you're not going to be a good tree and be producing bad fruit. Right? Jesus said it. It's 100% true, right? You know, that a, a, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. It is also 100% true that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And we discussed that in detail a couple of weeks ago. To be in Christ, that is to be in the vine, is the only way that a branch, which are his disciples, can produce fruit, is by remaining in the, in the vine, staying plugged into, being obedient to the commands of the Lord and of the Lord's uh, apostles, right? As it is written in the pages of the Bible, this is the only way to avoid being gathered up and burned, as the scriptures say. And that's in John chapter 15, if you want to go back and read that. But as you look in the mirror, or as you look out of your own eyes, right? Do you see that you have sin in your life as you, as you surmise your life? as you examine yourself? Do you see that you have sin in your life? Is your life producing figs and grapes or are you producing thorns and bramble? Is there a plank in your eye that you need to deal with as a part of your training in Christ? Do you have sin in your life today that's destroying your life? maybe even hurting others around you, but yet you're professing that you're a child of God? Are you really being like Christ in the way that you're living your life? And look, since I brought up this analogy of child rearing, right? Should a seven-year-old child be walking up and kicking Another child, like a two-year-old child, might do? Should, that, should we expect that from a seven-year-old child? That they just walk up and kick somebody like maybe a two-year-old child would do? No, that, that seven-year-old child should have long been, been trained out of that by a parent that has used the rod on that child and rebuked that child for their bad behavior. That seven-year-old should have had that taken out of his life a long time ago. Let me ask, give another example. Should a five-year-old child be crawling on the floor and sticking their finger in an, in an electrical outlet? Should, should we expect that of a five-year-old child? Right? Well, nor should a disciple of Jesus Christ 
remain immature for too long of a period of time without fully repenting of their sin, without stopping doing that foolish stuff. Yes, there is a brief period of time in the life of a newborn Christian, a disciple of Jesus, where they are being fed milk like a child because that's all they can handle. But they should, in a reasonable amount of time, like a child does, grow up having been chastened, right? Having been trained, having been rebuked, like the Word of God does in our lives. It's profitable for rebuke, for correction, for for instruction in righteousness. This is what the Word of God does. So we can't let a person just sit around in sin. We need to lead them, but the blind can't lead the blind. So we need to deal with sin in our own lives, get rid of the plank. But this is what is required. You can't wallow in sin and think you're saved. I believe I mentioned this scripture in my last teaching as well. But Hebrews 12:11 says that now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present but painful. Okay, so that's what chastening is and as a parent too you need to realize that it's painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's Hebrews 12:11. That's what disciplining does, right? Again, the end result is what? Being like Christ, our teacher. And this again is the result of being what? In the vine, keeping the commands of Jesus. Abiding in his word, which the word abide again means to remain in his word. Remain obedient. Crucify yourself daily. Take up the cross Follow after the Lord daily. Stay in the vine. Remember, the choice to abide is yours. It's not forced upon you, nor are you shackled and chained to the Lord. You are free by your lifestyle choice to remove yourself from the vine. It's not the will of the Lord, but it can be your will if you decide to not produce good fruit, right? In other words, you being out of the vine, you being cast away and burned, is not the will of the Lord. But it can be your will if you decide, if you make a choice to continue in sin and not produce good fruit in your life. That's your choice. Jesus continues, verse 45, A good man... Out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And Jesus our Lord here is very clearly pointing out to his disciples that there is a difference between those that are blind and those that have done something about their blindness by removing the plank from their eye. We cannot continue to allow sin to reign in our lives. If your life is producing bad fruit, 
then that's coming from an evil heart. If you're producing good fruit, that's coming from the good within you, showing that you are plugged into the vine. You are in Christ. And if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things pass away. Those old things they used to do, that way they used to live in sin, passes away because now they're being trained in righteousness and holiness, trained to be like their master, like their Lord. Okay? And this brings to mind some more scriptures here. Go ahead and mark this page in your Bible and turn to the epistle of Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. You have John, Acts, and then Romans after Luke. Romans chapter 6. And let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1. What shall we say then? Hold on one second. I I want to point something out, right? We're looking at parables of Jesus, and now we're going to go over and read writings from Paul. Okay? And, And Paul was in line with his Lord Jesus in what he taught. Paul didn't teach a different gospel from Jesus. Okay? So let's look at what Paul says here, again, in Romans chapter 6, right? Verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. So pause right there. It says that we... It says, shall we continue in sin? And it says, certainly not. The word for certainly um, there in the Greek is the word may. Certainly not. When you see certainly not there, it's the word may. Okay, spelled M-E, but it's in the Greek, right? And it is a word that speaks of an absolute denial. A very hard, firm fact, no answer. Continuing sin is not an option for the born-again Christian. Certainly not. Study that in the Greek for yourself and look at all the times that Jesus used the same word to convey the absolute denial of something. Okay, It's used several times. The born-again Christian is alive in Christ and dead to sin. So verse 2 continues here and tells us that It says, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Read that again. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So you see, if you profess to be in Christ, but you willfully continue in sin, that is, you choose to keep practicing sin over and over, you really need to consider the question that Paul just asked there. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Paul is very emphatic about this topic. Verse 3 continues, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of 
his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be, what? Done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So I mentioned in the beginning of this teaching that neither Jesus nor his apostles teach or taught that you can continue in sin and be saved. Right? A lot of people teach a gospel today that is all about, oh, what Jesus did for me. And of course, what Jesus did for us is beyond wonderful, but there is a role that you play in your own salvation. It's not forced upon you. It's not, again, it's not by osmosis that you receive it. And the role that you play in your salvation is described in the verses we just read. All right. But, you know, I need to, uh, Penny, get my um, plug for this. I think the last time I did a live teaching, I forgot to plug my laptop in as well. Um, and I read the scriptures here from my laptop and using my notes. That's how I do it. But uh, my battery on my laptop hasn't been lasting very well. Let me plug it in uh, over there. Sorry for the, pardon the interruption. I don't know how that affected the live stream, the quality of the live stream either. But I'm plugged in now. Hey, and we need to be plugged into the vine that is Jesus Christ. We have no power source, right? We'll end up dying, right? Like spiritually dying. Our spiritual battery will give out and we'll have no power in life if we're not plugged into the vine that is Jesus. So again, I said that you play a role in your salvation, And the role that you play in your salvation is described in the verses that we just read. But let's read them again. Verse three. Or do you not know that as many of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even though even so, we also should walk in a newness of life. That's how the Christian walks, right? So first of all here, do not underestimate the importance of baptism. It is an extremely important and an extremely symbolic moment in your life. Okay, It represents a person dying to the old way of life. Right? A life in which we were once slaves to sin where we used to willfully walk in sin at one point in our life. But just as we were immersed under water in baptism, this is how we demonstrate our dying to our old self, our old way of life. And certainly, right, we cannot continue in sin, right? Paul's already made that clear. We cannot continue in sin just because God offered the free opportunity to all the world to be saved. That's the grace of God. It was undeserved. No one deserves it. 
right? But, but we, when we come to Christ and we're born again, old things pass away. We don't keep going. We don't keep doing the same old things and say we're saved and say we're a disciple of Jesus. We are now to walk in the newness of life which is exemplified again and proclaimed before a group of witnesses when you are baptized, when you come up out of the water. It's just symbolic of something. It shows something. So don't underestimate the importance of being baptized. Verse 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Now notice this. I want to read that again. I'm going to point out a strong word here. Verse 5, for if, there's a strong word right there. If, is this the case with you? We have been united together in the likeness of his death. Have you died to yourself? Have you been crucified with Christ? Right? So if, we do that. If we, we were united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. What for? That the body of sin might be done away with. Does done away with sound like it's still here? Does done away with sound like continuing in sin? that we should no longer be slaves to sin, right? So do you want to rise to eternal life? Do you want that resurrection? If so, then the old you that at one time continued willfully in sin and was a slave to sin must be crucified and done away with, no longer a slave to sin, but now rather a slave to righteousness, someone that is striving against sin. In their life. Verse 7 For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Now, do you see that there in verse 8? It says, if, and there's that strong word again, if we died with Christ, we shall also live with him. That is, we shall have eternal life with Christ if our old sin-led life has been done away with? So again, I'm just stressing that here again to you. Verse 9, Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. You see, Jesus died for all. All the world. All the world, but all the world's not saved, are they? No, they're only saved when whosoever will comes to Jesus and confesses that he is what? Lord. He's Lord. He's master. And if he's Lord and master, then I'm in training to be like him. I'm going to be like him. Okay, that's the born again. That's the true disciple of Jesus Christ. The one that is in Christ, walking in a way that shows they're being like Christ, okay? So, 
I want to read verse 9 again. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Verse 10. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Okay? He was raised from the dead to die no more. He died to sin once for all. And he now lives for God. That is our example. That is our Lord. That's our example of how we should live our life. That's what Paul is talking about here. Likewise, verse 11, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Indeed, right? Definitely. Liken yourself, you, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ. Do you see that there? In Christ Jesus. That's what we looked at so much in our last study as well. We must abide in. We must remain in Christ. Living our lives in a manner that the vine dresser, the Father God, does not remove us from the vine as we read in John chapter 15. And as we also saw in Romans chapter 11 last week, we do not want to be cut off from the tree. So we must stay the course in striving against sin, as we read about in Romans 12. I'm telling you, folks, you'll have a very rude awakening if you think that grace allows you to remain in sin, willful sin, and be saved. It's not taught in the scriptures. Please wake up to this. I know that there has been for many years a doctrine of grace, call it whatever you want, greasy grace, sloppy agape, whatever you want to call it. I know that that's been taught, that you can remain in your sin, that you've got a license to sin. You're free to do that and still be saved. But search the scriptures. Listen, please never take my word for anything, but always take the word of God for everything. And take, go to the scriptures and find out if you, can, if you can continue in sin and still be saved. What's Paul going to say in verse 12? Therefore, do not, I'm going to emphasize those words. Therefore, do not let sin remain in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Now listen to what Paul said. What then? Shall, shall we sin because we are not under the law? But under grace, here it is again, certainly not. That emphatic statement, an absolute denial. A person that is under grace, and someone might say, oh, you know, I don't want to be legalistic. So I'm not going to tell somebody they can't continue in sin, because then I'll be legalistic. Right? Well, we're not under the law, right? But under grace, you can't continue in sin. Certainly not. 
Certainly not you can't do that, right? Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves, verse 16, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to what? Death or of obedience leading to righteousness? That's your choice, death or righteousness. And without righteousness, without holiness, no one will see God. Right. But we also see there that word obedience there in verse 16. Which we also looked at last week. Jesus said in John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. That's how you that's how you know a person is is abiding in the love of God, abiding in the love of the Lord, remaining there because they're keeping his commandments. Jesus said, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. He said, just like that. So we're supposed to be like him. We saw that at the start of this study. We're supposed to be like him. What was he like? He kept the commandments of, the, of his father. We're to keep the commandments of our Lord and master. We're to keep those commandments. We must be obedient to the life that Jesus and his apostles said that we should live. If we do, we will abide in his love. If we don't, we are removed from the vine or we're cut off from the tree, which again, I'm referring to John 15 and Romans 11. But here's the good news. Verse 17, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you did what? Obeyed. See that? Obedience. There's there's something you have to do. Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So look, there is a doctrine again that says you can continue in sin and you will be saved. But there is a doctrine that Paul refers to here, says that there's an old you And a new you. This is the scriptures. Okay, The new you is the one that has obeyed from the heart, has been crucified with Christ, and now walks by faith in a newness of life as a slave to righteousness. You've given yourself completely and wholly to be righteous. To walk in righteousness. That's what Jesus wants us to walk in the path of righteousness for his name's sake, not continuing in sin. This is what Paul taught, and this is what Jesus taught. The Apostle Paul goes on in verse 19, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for what? Holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In other words, you could care less about righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God. So let me pause right there. So guess what, folks, right? If you've been born again, you're still a slave. You're a slave to God. 
and you are now to live in righteousness. You've been set free from sin. Sin no longer has dominion over you. You don't, you don't obey sin any longer. You don't give in to its lust, right? You don't obey it in its lust. The born-again person used to be a, or excuse me, the non-born-again person is a slave to sin. But the born-again person no longer is. They're a slave to God, a slave to righteousness. A tree is known by its fruit, Jesus said. A branch that is biting in the vine that, that is in Jesus has the power of the Spirit within them to no longer walk in sin. They, they become known by their fruit as well. And their fruit is what? It's the fruit of righteousness. And they produce the fruit of holiness. As verse 22 continues here and says, You have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. So there's death, right? Separation from God for the person that remains in sin. Remains a slave to sin. And then there's everlasting life for the person that is dead to sin and that is now a slave to righteousness, producing good fruit. How? They're plugged into Jesus. They have that power of Christ within them. They're in Christ. They're becoming like Christ. That's the disciple of Jesus. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. How? Look at this. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, that's what's so important. That's the key right there. We must remain in Christ. You have to remain in the vine and not be removed from the vine. And how do you get removed from the vine? What does the vine dresser, the father, do? Why does the vine dresser, the father, in Jesus' um, parable in John chapter 15, why does he remove somebody from the vine? They're not producing fruit. They're not producing the fruit of righteousness. If you're a bad branch, you're going to produce bad fruit. Now, let's close out this morning again by looking at Luke chapter 6. Go ahead back to Luke, chap Luke chapter 6. And just as a re refresher, let's start reading in verse 39 again. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. That's your role, to get rid of this, so that you then in turn can help others, right? For a good tree does not, um, for a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad, bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit, for men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth 
good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Verse 46, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? So why do you think Jesus asked that question there? Jesus is very clearly pointing out here that a person cannot call him Lord and not be living like he commands. Can't do it. If you are yielding yourself to sin, you may have a Lord, but it's not Jesus because you're a slave to sin. That's your Lord. Your own lust of your flesh, your lust of your eye. And today is the day that you can finally choose repentance. You can choose today to stay plugged into the vine by being obedient to the life that Jesus and his apostles commanded, as we see written in the New Testament. If you believe you can ignore the commands of the Lord and be his disciple and on your way to everlasting life, you will not find that teaching in the pages of the scriptures. You will not find that in the Bible. And we've looked at plenty of verses in these last two teachings that say otherwise. Right? That that tell you you cannot continue in sin. Do you want to be on a firm foundation with God, walking through life knowing that you are eternally secure? Well, then you must remain in the vine and live the life that Jesus commands. There's no other way. And Jesus describes describes it here, starting in verse 47. He says, whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, underline that, and does them, I will show you whom he is like. The person that hears and does, verse 48, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. So underline the words, founded on the rock. So that's the one that hears and does what Jesus says. That's the one that's founded on the rock. In other words, they are eternally secure because they remain in the love of Christ and they're remaining in the love of Christ by keeping his commandments, by being a slave to righteousness, by doing what he commands, by being trained by him to be like him, by being like Jesus. Then Jesus goes on, but he who heard and did nothing, underline heard and did nothing, is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Underline that too. And the ruin of that house was great. So that is if you hear the word of God and you don't do it, then ruin awaits you. If you hear and don't do, then ruin awaits you. 
We must be doers of the works, as the Apostle James said. We cannot hear the word of the Lord and not obey it, yet still call him Lord. Jesus says you can't do that. We're living a lie if we do. And it is a very dangerous lie because it leads to a branch being cast out and burned. We must remain in the vine. We must abide in Christ. We must be slaves to God, slaves to righteousness, slaves to holiness, striving against sin. Then and only then will we be eternally secure because we are founded on the rock of obedience to Jesus Christ, hearing his word and doing his word. So we've covered a lot in these last two teachings. And again, I really encourage you to look at all the scriptures we've covered in these last two teachings and then examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Take a look at it yourself. Call out to the Lord. Today, you're hearing this message because there's still opportunity for you to repent. You may be somebody that's been in church for years. And we hear about this kind of thing all the time, don't we? People that are in the church for years, maybe even an elder in the church, a pastor of some sort, this, that, or the other thing. And all of a sudden, their fruit gets seen by everybody because they're a bad tree, because they're really not a disciple of Jesus. They're really not training themselves, being disciplined in, allowing the word of God to correct them and rebuke them because they've got some doctrine that says they're okay because of this grace of God that gets taught today. This perverse teaching of the grace of God. Yes, there is a true grace of God taught in the scriptures, but it's not the one that says you can continue in sin. And maybe you're somebody who's been sitting in a church, maybe serving in a church, but yet you're living in sin. You've got willful sin in your life and it's destroying your life. And it's going to come, you know, the light's going to be turned on sooner or later. And it's going to be exposed. So maybe you're hearing this today and you would call yourself or you've called yourself a disciple of Jesus. Or you've even called him Lord. But yet you're living opposite of what a disciple of his lives like. Well, today's a day that you can repent. It's not too late. Today's a day. And maybe you're someone that somehow come upon this teaching and you've listened through the whole thing. Because you've got a hunger and thirst for righteousness yourself. You want to know God. You want to know God's will for your life. Well, God indeed has a will for you. And that is that you would be in Christ. And that you would be a new creation. And that the old things would pass away. And that all things would become new. And that you can walk in a newness of life. It's not too late for you either. Today is the day of salvation. So look, folks, there's power in the Word of God. If you are a person that professes to be a Christian, I'll give another example here, but maybe you never read your Bible. Maybe you never pick it up to know the words of the Lord. You've, maybe what we've discussed today has been the most scriptures you've read or heard in many years. Pick it up. 
read it because how shall a person, David said, how shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to the word of God. The word of God is a lamp to your feet, a light to your path. The word of God will renew you in the spirit of your mind and make you a disciple of Jesus. If you have any questions or we can help you in any way, our website is on the screen here, aloveoutreach.com. You can go and fill out our contact form. Uh, Reach out to us that way. I'll get an email directly through that. If you have any questions or we could pray for you, we'd love to do so. But thanks for watching. Thanks for listening, whichever the case may be. God bless, and we will see you in our next teaching, Lord willing.